Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health/podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health/podcast. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Today, I have Dr. Jeffrey Gertner with us today to chat with a little bit about healthcare that maybe you're not used to, different angle on surgery as well as reconstructive surgery and startups. Dr. Gertner has a, a wide array of experience. He is a professor and vice chairman of surgery at Stanford University a plastic surgeon by trade, and also a research scientist. He has a lab that focuses on translational projects that are developed in the lab and are commercialized to improve patient care. He's also a general partner at Tautona Group, where they lead the development of new technologies for aesthetics, reconstruction, wound care, surgical, and biomaterial devices. And finally, he's founder and director at Neodyne, Biosciences, where they're they're basically an evidence-based company developing and commercializing innovative tissue repair devices to minimize scar formation, restoring both function and aesthetic appearance. A lot of topics that are of interest to you. So super excited to have Jeffrey on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. So Jeffrey, anything that I left out in the intro that maybe you wanted to share with the listeners? No, I think you've covered uh, you know, most of the things that I do, so I kind of am a little bit guilty of a short attention span. I have <laughs> clinical medicine and have a lab and then also have tried to work in the private sector to bring you know, new technologies and innovations to patients um, around the world. And it's super important work that you do. So I'm excited to dive into some of that in the podcast today. Why don't we kick it off with you letting us know why healthcare? Like what got you into healthcare to begin with? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I think I I again was was looking at lots of different options uh, growing up, and um, certainly in college. And medicine really stood out as I thought about it, just because it had a piece of it that was business, it had a piece of it that was more art than science, it had a piece that was science, and it really seemed like uh, for someone again who might be guilty of a short attention span, there were lots of different paths uh, that you could travel as a physician. And it seemed more like an adventure than a job. And and so, you know, through process of elimination, I kind of just decided that it was a exciting thing to go into and, and kind of have never looked back since. 
That's awesome. And you've, you've definitely done quite a bit in the time that you've been in the field, Jeffrey. If you had to zoom in to a hot topic that needs to be on leaders' agendas listening today, what would you say that hot topic is and how are you and your different organizations you're involved with approaching it? Yeah, I think, you know, just the the thing that, you know, has struck me being in uh, academic medicine in the private sector is just the real inertia of the medical system and the, and the real challenges we have in not just in innovations in terms of therapeutics or devices, but even in innovating changes in the systems and service models so that we can become more and more efficient and do more with less. And just the natural frictional points that are kind of legacy parts of our medical system in the United States that uh, just really oppose kind of nimble innovation. Parenthetically, out here in Silicon Valley, you see people disrupting gigantic industries left and right. And I don't think that's really possible in medicine because there's so many different stakeholders, including the federal government uh, that are involved in it. But you know, it doesn't mean it's impossible. And so I think just constantly thinking about how can we make the system better? How can we think about how to make uh, the care of an individual patient better and trying to knock down those those barriers uh, or at least uh, work within the system, I think is kind of job one for all of us, whether we're clinicians or scientists or entrepreneurs or executives or innovators. It's not a simple thing. So I think it has to be front of mind for us to be successful. Yeah, Jeffrey, I think that's a great call out. And I feel like the the leaders in healthcare that have been successful at, at moving the needle are the ones like you that decide on a vertical and they just stay hyper-focused. Now, I know you like to kid around about, hey, you know, I got a short attention span, but the thing that you've done so well, Jeffrey, is hone in to your area of specialty. And I just love that you've done that. That's why you've gotten the results you've gotten. I'd love if you could just share with the listeners how you've created results, and maybe some examples through one of your companies or your lab. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it all really starts from when I started with patients. And just as you go through your, your surgical training, in my case, you kind of have this illusion that if you become very well trained, you're going to be able to solve uh, most of the problems for the patients that come into your office. And as you go through your training, you realize, boy, there's just a lot of things that we really can't even address. There's a lot of things that aren't evidence-based that we do to patients. And there's all these unintended consequences downstream. And so my whole kind of evolution has been relatively organic, starting with how can I do a better job for patients? And then at a certain point, you realize, well, we have to come up with new approaches for some of these things. And that leads you to the laboratory. And you get to a certain point in your in the laboratory. And, and actually, that's where I was in 2005. I was a professor at NYU and I had all in Manhattan and had all these you know things that I thought were good ideas. I couldn't figure out how to, how to get them into the real world. It just wasn't. It's not what Manhattan, New York City, is known for. Yeah. There's not a, at that time there was certainly not a med tech startup culture or critical mass. So I moved to Stanford, figuring you know one place on the planet really knows how to to innovate. It's it's probably this area and realized pretty quickly that you know all my great ideas were actually not very good ideas. They were certainly <laughs> they were not good businesses in any case. And, and yeah. you kind of learn that that final piece of what makes a good idea and good business and how to kind of have all the stars align. And so it's just been, you know, unfortunately, kind of just dogged persistence at trying to figure out how to um, how to make a difference and how to advance the field of medicine that really has 
has kind of always motivated me. And, you know, I think, again, if you have that as your primary focus, then I think it makes it easy to do things that, that maybe don't make a lot of sense, like going out and, you know, as a surgeon and pitching ideas on Sand Hill Road to venture capitalists. Uh, but that's actually how you learn. You learn by realizing that what you thought were good ideas weren't good ideas. And more importantly, like, what is a good idea? And, and yeah. get DNA of that, and then you can move forward. So, you know, it's a very simple motivation for me, at least. And that has kind of ended up, you know, there was never a strategic plan that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I became an entrepreneur out of necessity because that was the only way that I could see things that might impact patient care getting into the real world. Yeah, it's a winding road, you know, and and um, it's pretty cool that you've taken it, you've been persistent with it and resilient for that matter. And 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 if you had to boil it down to the essence of what does make a good idea, a good business, what would you say the one or two things are? I think, you know, for sure it has to meet, for me at least, it has to meet an unmet clinical need. I think there are arguably good businesses that are me too sorts of things. You know, again, you know, we see it now with kind of the immunotherapy for cancer. I mean, obviously a great idea, but if you don't really have the the lens of a physician, that's a great business. So now everybody's flowing into that sector, but there's all these other areas of, you know, unmet uh, clinical need that don't have investment. And so trying to keep your eye on a, what you know. And so, as you alluded to, I've, I've kind of focused on surgery, reconstructive surgery, plastic surgery, because I know that area. And then you just have to find different ways to uh, innovate. So I think remaining focused on the unmet clinical need, believing, you know, I think the, the second piece is really, really, really being sure that your data is rock solid. So it's always easy to fall in love with your ideas and, and kid yourself. And that's just a waste of everyone's time and money because you don't want to spend six or seven years working on a technology that you were, aren't pretty sure it's going to work in the real world. And then I think being persistent and creative, there's many paths to the top of the mountain and figuring out which way to go when you're not in the hottest sector, you're not in immunotherapy for cancer. How do you foster innovation in those areas? I think sometimes requires just dogged persistence. I think it's so true. And, and that's something that's hugely valuable in you as a leader, Jeffrey, and, and for the listeners that are in the middle of this process, needing to innovate, to get their companies ahead, to help patients, to improve outcomes, that dogged persistence is so key in what you're doing. And take some inspiration from Jeffrey and, and his winding road in what you're doing. It doesn't happen overnight. You got to stay with it for the entire course. Jeffrey, you know, just speaking of winding roads, I feel like we learn a lot more from our setbacks than our successes. Can you share a setback that you had and what you learned from that particular setback? Sure. Yes, we um, about 10 years ago started a company that was based on, again, you know, really exciting technology that we developed in our laboratory and, you know, is really focused on novel ways to connect blood vessels. Uh, so anastomotic technologies and you know, it's kind of a, a classic example of that, you know, saying it's it's not what you don't know that trips you up. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so, as Mark mm -hmm. Twain said. And and we went into it with the knowledge that there were lots of, it was a way to glue things together, glue hollow tubes together. And we went into it with the, the knowledge that there were lots of FDA approved adhesives on the market that were being used clinically and 
the indications that we wanted to go into, they were commercially available. And so we assumed that the thing we didn't need to innovate on was the adhesive piece. And and as we went in, our core technology that enabled the using adhesives to connect to hollow tubes worked extremely well. I mean, it works great. But what we found was that for certain applications, um, these adhesives were really not good or not great. They weren't yeah. perfect and they certainly weren't adequate for anastomosis. And so, you know, that was kind of a real eye opener that you really need to question all assumptions. And again, these were things that, again, had gone through FDA approval, had multiple publications. And and as you kind of get into the weeds of how does this actually work in patients, um, realize that these were imperfect things. And if we had, you know, known that ahead of time, we would have certainly saved ourselves, you know, a lot of of time and it would have changed kind of our assessment of the value proposition and also the risks of the thing. And, and so, you know, now as I look at projects, I obviously look at every assumption, not just the ones that you think are risks. No, that's such a great call out, you know, and there are a lot of things that we could get into and we assume, and uh, I think this is a great call out. and, And I love the quote that you shared. It's what you know for sure. That is so that really isn't. Uh, (laughs) I love that. And that was Mark Twain, right? Yep. Uh, What a great quote. I'm going to definitely have to look that one up after this and and keep it in my, in my quote arsenal, because it's so true. And, and a lot of, and a lot of us in healthcare mean well, and we, we mean well, and we work hard and we're focused. Don't let these assumptions ruin your work and the benefit that you could be providing to patients. Thanks for sharing that. That was really insightful, Jeffrey. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I think it's corollary is kind of why arrogance, I think, is a real, real negative for for people that want to innovate because it, again, assumes that you know know things or you're confident that you know things. And I think you really have to have that kind of learner's, beginner's mind at all times to avoid essentially, you know, stepping into a pothole. Love it. Yep. So true. So you walked us through sort of the, some of the shadows with that company. Talk to us about one of the proudest leadership moments you've had uh, to date. Yeah, so so one of our um, one of my companies is Neodyne Biosciences, and it's started actually when I was an intern at Mass General, working at the Boston Shriners Hospital in the '90s, taking care of burn patients, and and just realizing mm-hmm. again that that was a situation where all the care was free, all technology was available, and you just realize that. For these kids who had these terrible burns that literally were skin deep, we could keep them alive, but you know their lives were immeasurably changed, irre- irreversibly changed, just for, from that one moment. And there was nothing I could do as a surgeon. There was no technology that was out there that could change that. And so that kind of we embarked on a lifelong kind of project to understand fibrosis and scar formation, and really has been the focus of of our laboratory. And, you know, one of the companies spun out of based on, you know, our understanding of one of the key determinants as a surgeon, we know that mechanical forces are critically important in, in how a scar heals. We learn about these lines of minimal tension. We're taught to orient our incisions so that they don't cross or that they are parallel to those lines with the, the clinical kind of anecdote that your scars will be better if you do that. And so there's, you know, again, that, that kind of thing that again, was outside of surgical uh, disciplines, was not well embraced, certainly, when we started working on the the mechanical environment, how it changed fibrosis and scar formation. 
And to test that, you know, we actually did a human clinical trial with a little device that actually changed the mechanical environment and Hmm. used long incisions in humans and found that you could decrease the scar formation about, you know, 90% based on that. And originally we were just going to go and start screening drugs, but someone said, Hey, why don't we, we could use this device and people could make their C-section scars or their knee replacement scars better. And so we started a company that is Neodyne Biosciences now and has treated basically using this experimental device. It's now much slicker and and obviously has branding and all the rest of the stuff you need for a commercial device, but it's treated 50,000 patients. We have Serena Williams as kind of our our celebrity endorser. And it, you know, it has made just reading those the kind of testimonials on real self or different kind of social platforms, seeing how it's really made a difference for patients, you know, women who've had C-sections and things like that is is very gratifying. That's something that you kind of developed in your laboratory, you know, has made an impact on so many patients. And but the journey's not over because obviously we that those sorts of devices don't help burn patients. And so we're now actually doing the things with, you know, small molecules to block fibrosis for burns. And so it, it's kind of a, again, very gratifying that something where you saw an unmet need, you can impact and then chip away at it. And hopefully, you know, over the course of your career, really change the game for fibrosis and scarring in a variety of different disease states. What a great story, uh, Jeffrey. And it kind of all goes back to that beginning where you sort of, you called it an illusion that you get the best training and you're going to be able to solve everything. You get out and you realize that that really isn't so. (laughs) And sort of that, that's the genesis of all the wonderful things that you've done. And now you've uncovered a lot of pathways to help this reconstructive scarring area. And you, as you work to identify a solution for those kids with the burn burn kids, you're finding other things and you're sticking with your pursuit to find that need. Like what keeps you going, man? Like what is it that that keeps you in the game? Because you could have given up a long time ago. Yeah, I just, I think it's, I mean, I think it's why for me, at least it's important for me to keep doing clinical medicine at some level and by far not the busiest surgeon, but I still do surgery. I still see patients. And I think it just kind of rubs your nose in, in kind of how little we know every day. And for me, it's those patients and, and just how do you move the ball down the field? How do we make things better? How, you know, in a hundred years, how will medicine be different and hopefully better? I mean, I expect it will be better. It's through people just, you know, making incremental improvements all over the place. And, and I think, you know, a lot of times, especially as healthcare has become its own industry, we kind of put our blinders on it. Well, I'm just about RVU generation, or I'm about this, or I'm about that, or gaming the press gaining system, or whatever it is. And I think what you lose, or what sometimes is lost, is that holistic approach of, hey, we're trying to help one patient at a time. By doing that, we're going to advance medicine. And by doing that, the world's going to be a better place. And so I think that's very, I don't know, exciting to be a part of. And, and you know, just really, for me, it's I can't imagine not doing that. I don't know what I would do that would have anywhere near the interest or urgency or meaning, for lack of a better word, than doing that and being part of that struggle and part of that that effort. No, for sure. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, and it's definitely true, right? Listeners, we're in this together and there's no one person is going to be able to solve all of healthcare's problems. So think of it as, as a collective work and keep yourself in the game. You're not the only one struggling to get these solutions out there. You have other brethren 
and sisters out there doing the work like Dr. Jeffrey Gertner. So tell us about an exciting project or focus that you're working on today, Jeffrey. Sure. Uh, you know, again, we're not only working on the, the process of fibrosis and scar formation, but we're working on the, the flip side of that coin, which is, you know, poor healing, like in diabetes and aging. And, and so we have lots of, you know, really interesting projects in the laboratory. Uh, we at Stanford, we're fortunate enough to have started a, a large uh, clinical trials unit at our, our wound care center where we're actually able to, you know, very rapidly uh, look at what works and, and try to, you know, bring in an ethical and responsible way, bring new treatments to the market. So we're very excited about, you know, one of our projects that potentially can prevent wounds from occurring, not just uh, heal them faster. And so we're, we're gearing up for kind of initial clinical experience, but that's, you know, I think an exciting an exciting effort and, and, you know, is kind of the flip side of the fibrosis and scar formation issue. Fascinating. Love that you're super focused on that. And you know what? I know that your work will continue to yield benefits to patients that need it. So keep up the awesome work. Getting close to the end here, Jeffrey, let's pretend you and I are building a, a healthcare leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. The 101 of Dr. Jeffrey Gertner. We're going to write out a syllabus. I've got four questions for you, lightning round style. And then we'll conclude the syllabus with a book that you recommend for the listeners. You ready? Yep. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I think to always keep your eye on the, the big picture of we're in this to advance the care of an individual patient and to progress medicine. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? I think expecting the future to be like the past, to expect that things that worked in the 80s and 90s are going to be the way the healthcare system, broadly writ, is going to be for the next 50 years. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? I think I you know, started off by talking about the inertia and the friction that exists in virtually every vertical and horizontally across the whole system. And I, I think Although it's difficult to be nimble, to always try to be nimble and have one of your aspirational goals to be nimble and, you know, rapidly changing organization that is not beholden to the past and, and, you know, legacy sorts of systems. Love that. What's one area of focus that should drive everything in a healthcare organization? I think the patient, you know, just always, whether you're a scientist, whether you're a practitioner, whether you're an executive, thinking about improving the care of patients, either by developing new technologies, by providing the existing evidence-based standard of care in the most efficient way possible. I think making the patient, I think sometimes we get tripped up with the, you know, the different billing and compliance and everything else. I think the patient should always be front of mind for everyone. Love that. What book could you recommend to the listeners? So it's kind of an old one, and I, I actually just had my uh, 15-year-old son read it, and it, he responded well to it. I thought he might nice. say, boy, this is really, really outdated. So <laughs> Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance uh, is, I think, a great book because it kind of, on the one hand, it's very, very pragmatic. It's the story of a father and his son, and he expands from that sort of story into the big philosophical questions that have that humanity has pondered since antiquity of what's the meaningful life, what's the good life, and, and you know, at a really high level. So for me, it's, it's if you kind of are looking for meaning and that has practical implications, I think it's a great book. 
Love that recommendation. Folks, if you want to get all of the transcript, the show notes, links to the book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and all the other things that we discussed today, just go to outcomesrocket.health slash Gertner, G-U-R-T-N-E-R, and you'll find all of that there. Jeffrey, this has been a blast. I've uh, really enjoyed the conversation. I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could follow you or get in touch with you. So I think just always keep the patient in mind in whatever you do and be persistent and avoid arrogance. Not because arrogance is a bad thing, because I think arrogance is impedes your ability to be successful. And I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. So just uh, it's Jeffrey, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, Gertner, uh, G-U-R-T-N-E-R, and happy to continue the conversation. Love it, Jeffrey. Hey, this has been a pleasure. Appreciate you carving out some time with us and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Thanks again for interviewing me. I appreciate it. Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast.